Good morning, church. The scripture reading today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is God's words to us from 1 Thessalonians. I don't get to talk about my uh, love of running up here very much, but I do love to run. Um, my, my wife says she's going to make me a t-shirt someday that I'm going to butcher the verse that says, the wicked run when no one is chasing him. <laughs> I run when no one's chasing me, except random stray dogs that are up at uh, ungodly hours of the morning freaking me out. But it, it's a great time in Central Virginia to be a runner because finally the weather's cool enough. You're not suffering quite so badly. Um, and if you, you're a runner in the area, you, you probably know that a, a big Richmond race weekend is about four weeks away here in the middle of November. So after, after finishing the full marathon last year, I decided to um, exercise some humility and dial back the miles and focus on the half. So Lord willing, I will finish with a, a PR here in a few weeks. But I don't say that to you to boast in my running. I, I say that because even announcing, I sure hope I get a PR on the 16th, I feel the fact that the more I run and the older I get, there are all kinds of things that can go wrong. So I could get sick the week of the race. I could strain my patella tendon again after one too many workouts. I could have trouble sleeping the night before, I could get a low blood sugar. I could need a smoothie and not have a smoothie when I need a smoothie. As Elisa loves to remind me, my mind cannot always win over my matter. A whole host of physical and mental issues could come up that keep me from crossing the finish line. So it's, it's very clear, in case you can't tell, I want to make it. I really do want to make it. But I can't guarantee that. Because there are so many things that could go wrong. And I think sometimes the Christian life feels that way. So in, in the second half of, of 1 Thessalonians 5, just, just the second half alone, the Lord gives us 17 different commands to obey. Uh, that sounds like more than a half to me. That's on top of all the other commands Paul's already issued in chapter 4 in the first part of chapter 5. So just to give you a sampling, chapter 4, verse 1, please God more and more. Chapter 4, verse 3, abstain from sexual immorality. Chapter 4, verse 4, control your own body in holiness and honor. Chapter 4, verse 9, love one another. Chapter 4, verse 12, walk properly before outsiders. 
Chapter 5, verse 6, remain spiritually awake and sober-minded. Chapter 5, verse 8, practice faith and hope and love. Chapter 5, verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up. And if that's not enough, then come some really easy ones. Verse 16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, verse 17. And if you're not kind of done by this point, give thanks in all circumstances, verse 18. I look at that and I say, if that is the spiritual race set before us, friends, the only thing that feels guaranteed in that race is failure at multiple points, right? I'll just talk about myself here, okay? The sheer difficulty of doing what we're supposed to do and not doing what we're not supposed to do as Christians can can feel overwhelming. And, And to the degree you feel that, to the degree that's our experience, I think we can respond in a variety of different ways. Sometimes we just tap out. So maybe a a better man, a better woman could cut it, but not me. All all of the rest of you can just keep on trying to do this, follow Jesus thing, but, but I'm done. Or sometimes we, we try to work as hard as possible. We don't tap out. We just double down, right? For as long as possible, hoping that despite the odds, we can eventually become one of the few, the proud, the brave, those who actually achieve the status of godly man or woman. Sometimes we play the curve. So we think things like, well, I'm not as bad as that guy in the news. I, I completely agree God should judge and condemn those people, but, but I'm a decent person. And surely God understands no one's perfect. We play the curve. Or sometimes we play what, what I'll call the get out of jail Jesus gospel card. It goes like this. Check it out, preacher man. The whole point of the gospel is that no one can obey God's commands. But Jesus obeyed for me. He kept the law so I don't have to be all worked up about obedience anymore. For what? Freedom. Christ has set us free, right? So it doesn't really matter how I live as long as no one gets hurt. God knows I love him. I really do. And I'm sure Jesus will work it all out in the end. So kick back, relax, and enjoy the flight. What Paul does here, friends, in these short verses, directly rejects every one of those responses. That we could have to the challenge of obeying God's commands and becoming holy as he is holy. Paul urges us to embrace a very different kind of attitude. To take heart in a very simple promise. I do not have a complicated sermon today. I have a very simple sermon because we need simple. So here's the promise. The faithfulness of God guarantees the completion of his sanctifying work in our life. There you go. That's the sermon, okay? The faithfulness of God guarantees, we're not talking like might hit the finish line, guarantees the completion 
of God's sanctifying work in your life. The the end of this chapter, actually, if you've been with us for a few weeks, mirrors the end of chapter three, where Paul writes in verse 13, chapter three, may the Lord establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So, So between chapter three, verse 13, and chapter five, verse 23, what do we have? What do we have between those things? Chapters four and five, full of commands, instructions from the Lord. But, but listen, friends, you, you will never experience enduring joy in the work of obedience or present or future hope for your spiritual growth or change if all you see is the instructions in the middle and you miss the bookends. We need the bookends. And I don't care if you're not the reading type. You need these bookends. Okay, so what are the bookends? What's the context in which we need to hear all the Lord's commands to us? Okay, very simple. Verses 23 through 28 of chapter 5. They're a resolute declaration to every Christian of the faithfulness of God to complete the work he began in you. Those are the bookends. So we're going to look at that this morning under three headings. First, verse 23, our sanctification is a work of God. It's a work of God. The Apostle Paul could not be clearer from the outset of chapter 4 that sanctification is God's goal for our life. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, hard to get this verse wrong, for this is the will of God. You ever been in a situation where you just thought, I just don't know what to do. <laughs> what does God want me to do? That's what God wants you to do, right? For this is the will of God. All times, all peoples, all situations, your sanctification. And even in saying that, I'm aware that that's not a word we use very often. So, so let's stop and think for a minute about what does Paul mean when he talks about sanctification? Well, to be sanctified is very simply to be holy as God is holy. That's what it means. Big word with a simple meaning. When you become a Christian, when you choose to make the Lord your shepherd, instead of running to all kinds of other people and things in this world for your refuge, you are sanctified in three senses, past, present, and future. So what are those? First, past, you have been sanctified, Christian, in the past, okay? If you're a Christian, God has brought you already into the realm of the holy, He's rescued you from sin and death through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. He's brought you out of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, and into the kingdom of God, his beloved son. Through Jesus, you've been forgiven. You've been cleansed. The power of sin's been broken in your life. You've been set apart for God's priorities and purposes. You've been sanctified, Hebrews 10, verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Past. Second, you are being sanctified. Present, okay? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, right now. Right now, if you're a Christian, God is at work in your life, transforming you from one degree of glory to another. 
Isn't that amazing? <laughs> He's doing that in you. He's progressively changing you into the image of his son. Hebrews 10, 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Just it's a few verses after what I just read. Have been our being. Or as Paul said to the Romans 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads in the present to sanctification and to its end eternal life. You are being sanctified right now. What's up with the future? Well, third, you will be sanctified. When Jesus comes back, he's going to finish his sanctifying work in your life that he began. And that means that the image of God in you will be fully restored. Completely. You will be, think about this, in act, attitude, and nature, holy as God is holy. The, the judicial gift of righteousness Christ has already given you. The gift by which you are already loved, welcomed, accepted by the Father will come to experiential in your life fruition. First John 3 verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know now that when he appears, future, we shall be like him, like Jesus. Because we shall see him as he is. Catch that. You can't come face to face with the glory of God in Christ and not come away unchanged. So when Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, now may the God of peace sanctify you, he's primarily talking about the present aspect of our sanctification, that the progressive work God's doing in the life of every Christian right now to make us more like Jesus. And in verse 23, we're going to slow down here. Paul makes several assertions about this process. Sanctification in the present, okay? First, God's sanctifying work is personal. So look back at verse 23. Read carefully here. There's a reflexive emphasis. Notice this. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Think about that. Making you more like Jesus is not something God has delegated. Nor is it something he's merely ordained. You're like, hey, in cosmic quadrant number five, I will for change. <laughs> is he sovereign? Yes. Does he ordain our change, yes, but we can say more. He's actually doing the work. Think about that. So, so the God who created the universe, the one before whom kings and nations are dust on the scales, the one who died on the cross so he can make an end of evil without making an end of you and me, is personally working in your life. Doing in you and for you what you cannot do in yourself or for yourself. That's what Paul's saying. He's making you more like Jesus. And I, and I linger here, friends, because I think too often we can buy into this idea, even as Christians, that God gives us power to change. Kind of like charges up our cell phone battery. Here's the juice. 
It's called the Holy Spirit. You got some power, but it's ultimately our work. Do so, so do we have a role to play? Absolutely, right? We're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but, but let's rid ourselves up front. If we can just all do this together of the arrogant joy sapping notion that God is merely the spiritual supply wagon. And he just hands out ammo and, and armor and, and maps and, and, then, and then watches from the sideline with his binoculars to see if, if we're going to do what we're supposed to do. That's not true. Why not? Because verse 23 reminds us that on your good days and on your bad days, on the days you're aware of it, on the days you're not, King Jesus, if you're a Christian, never stops working at you. You're his body, right? You're, you're his bride. You're his chosen treasure. You're, you're not chilling on some sort of heavenly assembly line where, where angelic robots are just kind of more like Jesus, boop, more like Jesus. <laughs> we can think like that. You know, we're just kind of along for the ride. No, God is the potter. You are the clay. What does a potter do to change the clay? He gets messy. It's personal. It's intimate. It's hands-on. Your sanctification is a work of God because it's something he's personally doing. Second, God's sanctifying work is holistic. This is all under the heading of Sanctification is a work of God. It's a holistic work. Look back at verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And then just to make sure we didn't miss Paul's point, what does he do? He kind of doubles down on that. Slow down, cowboy. What do I mean by completely? Parallel statement. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. Now, now listen, let's just put a fence up here, okay? The point of Paul piling up those words, because some of you may be going here, isn't to speculate about the difference between spirit and soul. Or, you know, wonder where my body ends and my soul. I thought I just had a soul. What's this spirit thing? That's confusing. No, that's not his point. Okay, Paul's point is that every conceivable aspect, every imaginable part of who you are is part and parcel of God's sanctifying work in your life. It's extensive. In other words, God's sanctifying work isn't like visiting some kind of spiritual concierge desk where we show up and say, hi, Lord, I'd, I'd like to become more loving and kind to my wife, but, but, but I really don't enjoy the whole, like, you being in charge of my entertainment choices or the substances I use. So, so could you craft a, a, just sanctify me here. No, no, not at all. Jesus purchased every part of you. Every single part of you, including your body. And having redeemed all of you, he's fiercely committed to what? To sanctifying all you. So friend, don't, don't limit his work. Submit to his work. Why? Because it's the only way that you will experience peace. Think about that. When, when Paul says, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. What's up with that? Sometimes we can read that and think, 
Well, that's just a convenient fill-in-the-blank adjective. May the God of, what could I say about God? Peace. No, no, that's deliberate because Paul's reminding us that God already enjoys the greatest possible sense of well-being. And he provides that for his people by making us more like him, conforming us to his image. So think about this. If you want to experience peace in this life, and I have yet to meet somebody that doesn't, and we can talk about what that feels and looks like, how it's defined, but, but if you want to experience peace, know this, the path of peace is the path of sanctification. The path of peace is the path of godliness. The path of peace is the path of becoming more like Jesus. There is no other path of peace. Multiple ways to peace. Well, you go godliness, I got peace over here. Jesus works for you, well, this works for me. No. You may think that works for you, but it's not going to lead to eternal peace, friend. The path of sanctification is the path of peace, which means sanctification, becoming holy, isn't just right. It's good. It's beautiful because it's the key to experiencing the joy of being who God created you to be. You know, sometimes we can think this whole process of becoming more like Jesus, obeying God's commands, being holy. Ah, I just, I just feel like I am completely denying every part of who I am. And that's not cool. What's the problem with that? We, we forget, don't we, that when we become a Christian, the answer to the who am I question changes, right? We have a new identity. Who you are is what? In Christ. And so the, the whole path of, Lord, make me more like yourself, isn't, isn't kind of becoming less you. It's becoming more and more who you actually are. You're not denying your identity to become like Jesus, Christian. You are embracing and running after your identity. God's sanctifying work is holistic. Third, his sanctifying work is necessary. So what does Paul say? Back to verse 23. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's going to happen when Jesus returns? Well, he's going to judge the world in righteousness, right? John 5, 28. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Hear me when I say this, friends. Your sanctification could not be more important for unless you are sanctified, you will not be saved. Say that again. Unless you are sanctified, you will not be saved. That doesn't mean we earn eternal life. Through our good works. Okay? Eternal life and deliverance from the judgment we deserve is a gift God only grants as the reward of faith, of trust in what Jesus has done to make us right with God. And yet, genuine faith without fail does what? It authenticates itself. It demonstrates itself. It shows it's legit and real and not fake and put on through a life of good works. Thus, Hebrews 12, 14 warns us, strive for the holiness 
without which no one will see the Lord. So so what's Paul's point in, in bringing up the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the day he returns to judge the world? He's, he's reminding us, friends, that unless you've surrendered every part of your life to the sanctifying work of Jesus Christ, you'll be condemned before the one aside that matters most. You need to be kept blameless, preserved and, and protected on the path of obedient submission to God so that you're ready when Jesus returns. And, and if, as I say those words, you, like me many times, you, you look within yourself and you see the paltry insufficiency of your own willpower, and you recognize that you are perpetually prone to wander, well, then you need to know two things. So listen very carefully. One, you are not alone. Whether they realize it or not, every man and woman in this room is in the same boat. Acute inability. And two, the Lord has good news for you. And all of your brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's found in verse 24, look there. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So point one, our sanctification is a work of God. Point two, God completes the sanctifying work that he begins. So it's a work of God and he completes the work he begins. Okay. I want you to imagine for just a moment if Paul had stopped with verse 23. Think about this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Best of luck to you. We'll see what happens. Don't stop fighting. Hey, you. Pray more. I mean, if if Paul stopped there, what would we be tempted to do? I would be tempted to conclude that was nothing more than a a mere spiritual wish. You know? A, a, A nice, hopeful sentiment on Paul's part for the Thessalonians. Kind of like a Hallmark greeting card. Nice thought, Paul. But but clearly that comes with no guarantee that any of that will come to pass. And then we might look at ourselves, If we're being humble... And see all our continued spiritual struggles or we look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ and see all the ways that they're struggling and we could conclude that there's no way. No way. I've sinned one too many times. They've been stuck in the same pattern of rebellion for far too long. I I can't see anything good about the present trajectory of my life, my heart, or their life and their heart. None of these lines are leading anywhere holy. At which point many Christians just give up. I was talking to a person recently who who just shared with me how hard it is for them to even want to resist the, the temptation to pornography. Okay, well, why is that hard for you to want to resist? Well, it's no mystery, Pastor, because I'm convinced I'm just going to fall anyway. 
Why even fight? My current record is O for, I don't know, 365. We just give up. But many times, we do the exact opposite of that, too. You know, especially when another Christian we deeply love isn't changing the way we want them to change. (laughs) What do we do then? Well, we declare war. And we begin in in subtle or not so subtle ways to, to launch what I will call a spiritual pressure campaign. Okay? You know, you really should read your Bible more. Hey, when was the last time you prayed? If you really want to change, why don't you go up for prayer right now at the end of this service? Did you hear what the pastor was saying? God gives grace to the humble. Get your butt up there. Or, or, or my favorite, hey, hey, I heard this really good John Piper sermon this week. And you know, it was just the funniest thing. I was listening to it and I thought of you. <laughs> so I already texted it to you, emailed it to you, and posted it on your Instagram and Twitter so that wherever you are, um, why not when you're coming home from work today, you could listen to that. I just think Jesus, he's really got something there for you. Pressure campaign. On one level, I take it from your smiles, I'm not alone and struggling with this. Is it wrong, church, to admonish the idol? Is it wrong to, you know, encourage the faint-hearted or, or to help the weak? No. Read verse 14 if you don't know what I'm talking about. But, but hear this. There is a world of difference, friends between doing all of those things with your hope set in their ability to change or your ability to change them and doing all of those things with your hope set in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially those who believe. Big, fat difference. Because even with the best intentions, what can we do? We can leave those we love the most feeling like it's all up to them. We're we're so busy suggesting or demanding, if the suggestion didn't work, that they grow and reminding them how long we've been waiting for them to change, that we've stopped communicating the slightest bit of confidence that God is at work in their life. He's at work in your life and you're resisting and he wants you to listen to me right now. Really, somehow that doesn't feel like God. <laughs> you know, it's... What, what do we need, friends, when either we're despairing of the possibility of spiritual change in our own heart or in somebody else we love? What, what, do we, what do we need? It is not, it's not a new book. It's not eight weeks of pastoral counseling, though all those things can be gifts. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What we need is an abiding confidence in the faithfulness of God. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Notice that the saving and sanctifying call of God, he who calls you, Saving and sanctifying calls. 
They don't just exist. What are they? They're effectual. As a parent, I wish my call had that power. Right? Speak kindly to your brother. You are an amazing brother. How could I prefer you today? Whoa. (laughs) Serve your mom. Thank you for dinner, mom. My favorite was the broccoli. Could I have a second serving? You know, it's just like, if you find out how to do that, just call me. I'd love to have an effectual call, but we don't, right? But what happens when God speaks, friends? What happens when God says, let there be light? Light. What happens when God says, Lazarus, come out? He walks out of the tomb. What happens when God so wonderfully and slowly patiently and persistently and unfailingly works in the heart of your friend or spouse. They too become more like Jesus. Not because of your pressure campaign, but because God is faithful. When Paul talks about being sanctified completely or being kept blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, please notice, that's not his way of saying, this is what I hope will happen to you Thessalonians or what, what, what could happen to you guys if you get with the spiritual program. No, it's what he was utterly convinced would happen to the Thess- Thessalonians and will happen to every believer. Why? Because God makes sure it happens. It's God's work and God always completes the work that he begins. Even when you don't see how that's possible. Or even when people around you think, too late. He will surely do it. And and please hear this. That's not just what we need to hear individually. You know what we need to do with that? We need to relentlessly take verse 24 and just declare it to each other. All the time. All the time. Don't presume the Christian you're talking to has trust in the faithfulness of God on lockdown. Yeah, 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 God is faithful. No, no. When you are confronting someone, you know what the most important thing you will say to them ever is? If they're a Christian. Brother, sister, God is faithful to you. He's been faithful. He is faithful. He will be faithful. And no matter what you hear and what I'm saying right now, I just want you to know that I trust God for you. And I'm praying for you. And my hope isn't, and anything I just said, though I hope some of it was helpful, if not, feel free to scrap it. I'm trusting God. That's not arrogant, like, I'm trusting God, how about you? (laughs) No, that's humility in action. And furthermore, that is the best gift you could give that person. Because what are they probably lacking right now? Confidence in God. Remind people of that. But we really need to examine our hearts here, I think. Don't we? And be honest, what what are your expectations for the future of your own spiritual growth or those you love built on? What what defines those things, sustains them, fuels them, preserves them? It's very simple. Is it your power, their power, or God's? Is it what 
they're doing, you're doing, or God? Is, is it what you've resolved to do, or after 10 hard conversations, they've promised you they will do, or God? Confidence in yourself or other people is guaranteed to disappoint you. Confidence in God will never disappoint you. Why not? Because he's faithful. He always does what he says he will do. And let me just point out briefly before we end with point three here, that if this kind of trust isn't just on the page of the Bible, verse 24, but it's alive in your heart, here's how you'll know. Here's what this looks like, okay? Abiding confidence in the faithfulness of God to sanctify his people will enable you, listen, to practice patience and joy on the front end as you wait for God to do what only God can do. It'll produce that, okay? Lord, no matter how long this takes, I believe you when you say you will complete the work you began and I trust you to do it. Help me remember that that work is ultimately not their job or my job or the church's job. It's your job. That produces patience and joy. Second good fruit, abiding confidence in the faithfulness of God to sanctify his people will also enable you to practice what? Humility and gratitude on the back end as you see God do what only God can do. What will that sound like? Things like, Father, I give you all the praise to the praise of your glory, right? All the credit for all the good that's happening in my heart or their life. Thank you for doing, God, what only you can do. Thank you for giving me a glimpse of your faithfulness amidst all the brokenness inside me and around me. That's what it sounds like. Gordon Fee summarizes it this way. For the Thessalonians, this is the needed reminder that neither their sanctification nor their being preserved blameless is dependent on their own personal struggling for it, but on their trusting God who has already called them to himself and who will thus bring to pass in their lives what God began. This is my favorite line in the whole thing. In the end, Everything depends on the single reality that God is faithful. That's it. That's all we have, friends. It's all we need. Point three. God uses our efforts to accomplish his work. Verses 25 to 27. This is not, there's nothing random about the way Paul ends his letters. We can kind of get like that. You just, ever been in a Bible reading program, you get to the end and da, 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 grace of the Lord. He says that a lot. All right, what's next? No. No, it's actually a bit surprising what he does here. Because at first glance, it seems like a contradiction. You have this crazy encouraging verse 24. God will surely sanctify you completely. He's faithful. He'll do it. Now, here's some things that you need to do. And so you can read this, and I felt this this week. Which is it? Where's this sermon supposed to land? God is faithful. Cue the music. Or, now we need to obey in these ways. Well, as I love to remind us, the answer is yes. Why? Because God is faithful to do the work. He's ultimately the one who changes us and 
He what? He uses various means to accomplish his perfect faithful work, including his word, suffering, community, and and the choices we make. None of those things that we do to cooperate with God's work of sanctification fall outside his sovereign will or outside his activity. They are how God is working in our life. They're expressions of his sovereign work, which is why 25 to 27 come right after 24. They're not disconnected. They are how God gets 24 done in your life. And he flags here at the end three simple means of sanctification that the Thessalonians needed to embrace means that that God uses to accomplish the sanctifying work in in their life and in ours. So we'll end with these. Notice first, verse 25, Paul flags the means of prayer. So brothers, pray for us. it's It's a striking example of humility, I think. Because who's asking for prayer? The apostle Paul. He's the apostle of the risen Christ who led them to faith in Christ. May, may that be a lesson in what spiritual humility for those in positions of leadership sounds like. Pray for me too. But it's not just an example of humility. It's also Paul's way of reminding the Thessalonians, guys, listen, I'm not some crazy, super massively gifted, wish I had Paul's gift set apostle. No, I need you to pray for me just like you need me to pray for you because we're all dependent on God. We all need God to be faithful, no matter how big or strong or incredible that person and his spiritual gifts look. God will use the means of prayer in the Thessalonians' life to keep the apostle Paul faithful. That should encourage us to pray. Knowing when we're interceding for a brother or sister, asking the Lord to sanctify them, we're we're participating in the work God himself is doing. That's not just spiritual discipline, checkbox, what's next? Lord, heal my dog. No, you're you're getting involved in what God is doing. It's amazing. Second, he flags the means of community. Prayer, now community. Verse 26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. That is not middle school guys, what you think it is, (laughs) okay? In the ancient world, a kiss was not an expression of mere romantic affection like it is in many Western cultures today. It was akin, more akin, uh, to what a kiss expresses in Hispanic or Latin American culture, a communication of love, respect, and friendship. Right? So, so what's the underlying principle here? That God will be faithful to accomplish his sanctifying work through the means of our tangible expressions of love and care for the Christians around us. Community. Finally, he flags the means of scripture. Verse 27, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Question. Did Paul say that because a church council had yet to decide whether the book of 1 Thessalonians was actually the inspired word of God? And because Paul was waiting for that, he had to double down on his authority and say, no, really, trust me, this is from God. No. 
No, Paul could say that because he wrote with what? A self-conscious awareness that God was using him as an apostolic eyewitness of Christ to deliver God's inerrant word to his people. And so he knew because of that, that as the Thessalonians meditated on the word of God, God would use that meditation, that study, just like he is today, to accomplish his sanctifying work in our life. We're, We're no different, friends, than the Thessalonians. We need these means, prayer, community, the word. We we don't embrace them as gifts because they're kind of our contribution to the process. You know, like like God's a majority stakeholder. But hey, the 2% little guy still matters. (laughs) No, not at all, okay? We embrace these gifts because through them, God does what only God can do. That's the point. I love the way Paul concludes here. In verse 28, because this farewell could not be more different than the way most letters in his time end. Typically, their goodbye, uh, literally translated, means be strong. Paul doesn't do that. What does he say? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Why? Because he wants us to remember something that every good thing we have, every, every good thing we ever receive, all the ways God helps us or the people around us who are believers to become more like Jesus, all of that is a gift of grace. That's what he wants us to remember. We don't deserve for God to be faithful. We, we struggle to remain faithful to him, right? So what does grace do? Grace reminds us that God is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. That's what grace is. We need to remember the bookends, friends. Not just as we end our study of this book and prepare for 2 Thessalonians, but every day of our life, when you wake up in the morning, know this. God, if you are his follower, is at work sanctifying you. And every day of your life, God will complete the work that God began. And every day of your life, God will use very ordinary means to accomplish that supernatural work. The faithfulness of God guarantees something, that God will complete his sanctifying work in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we are all too prone to think that becoming more like you is simply something we are either doing or not doing. And I pray today, Father, as we have lingered for several weeks in a long series of commands and instructions, that you would strengthen our hearts with the abiding confidence that you will do the work. You will use means, and we must strive for holiness but you will do the work because you're faithful. So we pray against unbelieving apathy and we pray for diligent, earnest trust. Lord, teach us how to toil and strive with our hopes set in the living God. We pray in your name, amen.